Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop from the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today, writer for the King's Herald and podcast whiz, Tony Zipteris. Tony, happy Monday. How's it going? It's going great. A lot of basketball news, a lot of Kings news, so I'm not going to uh, take up too much of our precious podcast time with a big, long intro. So hello, Will and Jerry. Uh, let's get to it. Let's get to it. He's a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM and color analyst. General Manager of a WNBA Champion, Indiana Basketball Hall of Famer, NBA Draft Nostradamus, and the true pride of French like himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, it's an absolute pleasure to have you. How's it going? Well, great to be with you guys. I agree with Tony. Let's get to it. (laughs) So we we spent last episode uh, arguing and talking with uh, with Brian and Brendan on prognosticating the NBA draft, and I'm pretty certain we got most of it wrong, but let's let's jump right in. The Kings... uh, the Kings, uh, they didn't end up drafting Moses Moody. They didn't They didn't look at Franz Wagner or Alperin Shingun, but they drafted the six-one point guard from Baylor, Davion Mitchell. Jerry, I want your opinions, first of all, on the pick and what you think of it and uh, whether or not you had a secret insight into it by way of crystal ball. Well, no, I had no secret insight. You know, as I, I said on the podcast the last time, I, I thought he might be the best player available, you know, even though uh, the Kings didn't have a, a real need there. Uh, and... You know, and just just for, uh, you know, public information, you know, I, I know just reading comments and things, I think people somehow or another thought uh, I, I demanded the Kings draft him or something. <laughs> as, as you guys know, I, I basically said, you know, I, I think he might be the best player available. But I also said if it were me and Moody were available and both were available, I would take Moses Moody mm-hmm. uh, because I think even though the Generally speaking, I agree with the best player available, but I think it's such a close call and the need being what the need was, I thought Moody would be uh, the better choice. And and I'll stay with that. I'm not saying, you know, I think Davion's going to be a fine pro and I think Moody's going to be a fine pro and I think neither are going to be first ballot Hall of Famers. Jerry, do you think there's any... uh... There's any strategy past this was the best player available in the minds of Monty McNair and, and, and his staff? Do you think there was, uh, you know, because I see some, even I've kind of given into it a little bit. I text you on draft night saying, oh, you know, maybe there's a Simmons trade coming and, and this, is, uh, this is Darren Fox's replacement or Tyrese Halberton's replacement. Do you feel like this was a case that Monty McNair just said, this is the, clearly the best player available and we need a, an influx of talent? Or, or do you feel like there's other other methods here behind that other than just uh, best player regardless of fit? Well, if, if, if he went ahead, you know, if he didn't have a trade uh, in the works, uh, then to me, yes, he his only rationale would be say this was the best player available. Uh, sure. I mean, I understand uh, if, in fact, you could, tra- you know, it goes back to the years when, when we had the third pick and took Billy Owens, but we basically did it for – to trade for Mitch Richmond. Uh, and, and I, I think, uh, yeah, but if, if in fact, uh, you don't have that lined up, then, then what you did, you, you know, to my mind is you're saying, this is the best guy we could get. And that's fine. If that's, that's your stance, obviously time will, will prove whether that's accurate or not. And uh, I, like I say, I, I kind of 
agreed at the time, and I still pretty much knew that he might be the best player available. I, I like I say, I just don't think there's a gap. Uh, when you have clear needs, uh, that's where where I would deviate. Uh, just you know, when it's when it's a clear best player, that's one thing. When it's a best player, but by minuscule amounts, and you have <laughs> huge needs, and I think you look at it maybe a little different. Tony, what were your thoughts on the move to draft a Davion Mitchell? My immediate reaction was uh, a little bit of surprise and maybe, maybe I shouldn't have been, but, uh, and it's not, it's not like a, a Yorgos Papayana surprise where it was like an, Oh my God, how did they pick this guy? Cause Davion Mitchell was definitely, um, worth a, a theoretical nine pick. I was just surprised because like what Jerry said, the fit was so awkward. Um, then I thought about it a little bit more and I realized, and maybe this should have been apparent before the draft, but I don't think Monty McNair's intention was to have, a log jam at guard by draft night. I think if that buddy healed Kyle Kuzma, Montrez Harrell trade had gone through the, the whole puzzle would have looked a little bit different in the moment. And you wouldn't have had that initial shock. Like, Oh, they added another guard because buddy healed would have been gone. And the hole that we see in the roster right now at power forward or at forward would have been filled by Kyle Kuzma and Montrez Harrell would have been able to fill in other needs. If you thought they wanted saying or some other center, um, the, the puzzle would have looked a little bit more complete by draft night. So that was sort of my, my up and down uh, range of emotions with the Davion Mitchell pick. And then seeing him play those two games in the California classic. Um, I know people say, you know, summer league is pointless, whatever. I kind of agree. I kind of don't, but even still, it was just nice seeing the Kings select this player who right away immediately showed you exactly why Monty McNair picked him with his defense and his ability to, to create shots and leadership on the court. Um, so Initial reactions on draft night, a little bit of surprise, um, but he's a good player. Maybe not exactly who I would have picked like Jerry, maybe if there was a, a different guys on the board, but this is not a, um, this is not, it wasn't one of those drafts and the Kings have had those where coming out of the draft. You're like, oh, they really messed this up. And, and it's silly to call a draft a, a mistake on draft night, but you still feel that way sometimes. Uh, but this was not one of them, despite the fact that they didn't pick the guy that maybe I would have at nine. How do you foresee uh, this this season going in um, with with guards that uh, three young guards? I mean, Fox obviously being the vet of those two, but uh, uh, Davion Mitchell is going to need playing time in order to uh, in order to succeed in this league. And I don't know exactly where he gets the minutes to do that, especially with Tyrese Halliburton being there. You have guys that you resign uh, like a uh, Terrence Davis. Uh, you have other people there that are kind of. Do you see? Do you see uh, Jerry or Tony? Uh, a clear way for, for Davion to get the minutes he needs in order to be successful in the league here with a guy like Fox and, and a guy like Tyrese Halliburton taking up so much of those, those starter minutes. Well, it's going to be tough. There's no doubt about it. I mean, uh, you, with the current roster and, and I hope to hell this ain't the, the roster come October uh, because it just doesn't, it's not going to work. I don't think very well, uh, but I, I mean, with Davion, I think it's a case where, okay, you drafted him and, and he's good. Uh, so you trot him out there. Uh, you know, you may, you can get him 20, 25 minutes pretty easy. Is that, mm -hmm. uh, is that fair? Sure. It's fair. I mean, it's Halliburton basically had to kind of work his way into more minutes and he certainly proved that he proved that he earned them. And I think with Davion, it's the same thing. Uh, will he prove, that, that he can earn more minutes, uh, I don't know, but but he'll he'll get those. And uh, now the problem is, of course, with Buddy and Terrence Davis in particular. Uh, you know, just how do you sort that out? How much many minutes are going to go 
with those guys playing the small forward when they're, you know, obviously that's not what they are, but can you, can you play three guard lineups? And my answer would be, yes, you can. Of course, uh, teams are doing that more. I don't think you can do it for huge segments. Although the Washington wizards did it uh, once they put Neto in there with, with Beal and uh, Westbrook last year, they, they, they won at a quite good rate. And that was very small, but you know, Westbrook, uh, he rebounds like a power forward, so it it uh, yeah. ch- it changes things. And I, last time I checked, I did not see Westbrook on this roster. So uh, you didn't see Tyrese Halliburton gained forty five pounds in muscle in the offseason, Jerry. <laughs> I didn't, but I tell you what, uh, that I mean, that'd be my real goal for Tyrese in two or three years to where he did pick up twenty pounds and kept where he could easily play uh, even some small forward. Uh, you know, kind of a point forward. I think he'd be just terrific there. And, uh, but that that's down the road. So our, uh, our second round pick this year, the Sacramento Kings selected uh, Namias Cato, who was a center from Utah state. Uh, he's the first ever uh, drafted player from Portugal. Um, and I wanted to get your guys' opinions on uh, what you thought of that move and how you think he fits on this roster. I'll let Tony go on that one first. Uh, I know you're a lot more familiar with with him. I I do have an opinion on him after watching him a little bit. Yeah, he was uh, he was one of my draft crushes this year for sure. Just because um, I don't know something about I like the big giants, right? And the Kings haven't had a, a big giant in a while. Maybe Alex Len sort of fits that bill. But Kada is a just a humongous man center that the Kings had. I mean, they've struggled with undersized centers in the past. I would say even Rashawn Holmes at times is an undersized center, depending on the matchup. Um, what makes Kata interesting is he's also like a very competent and exciting passer. He's not going to do much to, to create his own offense, uh, or at least you probably don't want him to do that, but he's a, a rare skill set as a center to being this gigantic uh, defensive rim protector type who can also move the ball and pass it pretty well and plays with a lot of energy. Um, he's still a pretty raw prospect. I remember seeing some, some interviews with him, uh, coming up and how he got from Portugal to college. And he was a very raw athlete with not a lot of basketball skill. He started late. So there's a lot of development to do there. Um, I believe the Kings signed him actually yesterday to a two-way contract. So he's not, he didn't get full uh, guaranteed NBA rostered kind of contract money. He's on a two-way. He could be up and down from Stockton. Um, but as just a shot in the second round, I really like his potential because he gives the Kings something they haven't had in a while, which is a, a big giant project center um, to kind of to kind of work with, and ho- hopefully Rico Hines can can get some magic out of that. Yeah, he is one of those guys. Uh, is very intriguing, you know. And I didn't know much about him. I think I talked to Tony about him a little bit, and uh, and really watched him closely, and went got, went online and got some information. But uh, yeah, you know, it, my first impression was, you know, this is a guy in in the late '80s would have been a top fifteen pick sure. for sure, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just how the game has changed. And uh, right now you just don't know if he's got a ways to go to, to get to the point where you could put him on the floor in any consistent minutes. But I, I like the two-way contract. I, I love the fact that he's a late developer. Uh, you know, that, that for, you know, means a lot, you know, because if he'd been one of those guys that came up through the AAU programs at 14 and all that, you'd say, Hey, he's two years away from being two years away. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but I, I think that uh, I think there's, like you say, I, th- I think there's some, a chance there. And I think that was a, a, a good pick, a good pick with that number. Uh, we'll see how it goes. I certainly think his NBA prospects are far better than Woodward's or Ramsey's of last year, far better. 
It's interesting that uh, Tony pointed out uh, the two-way contract deal. It's it's a uh, uh, it's Keita and it's a uh, Louis King this year with, with their two-way deals. But it was a change from last year where Monty McNair signed Robert Wood- uh, Robert Woodard and uh, Jemias Ramsey both to full deals right off the bat from their second contracts. Is that a matter of just uh, Jerry? Do you see any reason as a former GM uh, why you pick one over the other and not sign Nemias, or just you don't want to guarantee a spot, or you don't have the space, and you're making a playoff run, so you need him down in Stockton? Or what's Monty McNair's thinking in in doing it this way rather than what he did last year? Well, I, I kind of think maybe he learned from last year <laughs> that there probably wasn't <laughs> a reason to do uh, with Ramsey and Woodward what they did, to, to be honest. Uh, you know, they, uh, they were, you know, uh, not, I wouldn't say bad picks, but they weren't sure picks by any stretch. And, uh, sure. and so by doing that with these guys, I mean, I think Lewis King, for instance, is a much better prospect than either one of those guys. Uh, you know, I just think there's more of an NBA level potential there uh but to get uh yeah to get the, the big fella on a two-way uh you know and i think the g league is really hard it's tough for for big guys tougher than you know the game is probably a little faster and quicker and and all but but in the long run it'll be good for him so i i, I guess I, if anything i just give money a, an a from for uh hey let's uh, it wasn't that it didn't work out well last year we're going to do something different this year hope it works better and I think it will is there any is there anything in the general draft that surprised you um when you guys were watching I know for me it was watching uh somebody like Moses Moody slip to the Warriors at 14 and guys like uh Josh Primo and Chris Duarte get picked over somebody who we were kind of hoping would be there at nine and and then didn't get selected was there anything for you guys that uh you watched the draft and went oh wow I, I wouldn't have done that or 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 that you you were surprised that they pulled off one way or another uh, well, I, I certainly, I, I was not familiar with Primo at all. So, you know, that kind of came out, came out of the, the blue a little bit. And I'm like, you, I was surprised Moody slipped that low. Although, I mean, there's a, you know, really from, from about three or four, you could, there's 15 guys you could slot about just about however you want to and make your case. And I think time will prove that out. I, I think, you know, I mean, there's, there's just not, there weren't that many as contrary to what people want to believe. There's not that many Jalen greens in this draft. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of, a lot of guys that could be really good and, and there'll be a, and there's going to be quite a few that just aren't going to have much, much in the way of careers when it's all said and done. Uh, nothing specific surprised me, but something that I realized, and maybe I should have learned this years ago, is that after the top three or four picks, the mock draft dudes don't know anything about anything. And all the sourced information that we read, I'll just use the Kings as an example. They love Franz Wagner. Maybe they did. Um, there was nothing about Davion Mitchell at all to Sacramento coming to the draft, aside from Jerry's um, predict, not predictions, but insight. Uh, and just how much they got wrong after those first five picks. It, um, it's so lesson to yourself, lesson to me. I'm speaking to future Tony. Uh, don't take the mock drafts next year all that seriously in terms of where guys are slotted because after that first three or four, it's kind of a free for all and everyone, anything can happen. And, and the things the teams really are going to do is not the things they want the mock drafters to know. So I'm sure Monty McNair was loving seeing everyone but Davion Mitchell slotted to the Kings at nine. So then on draft night, there was no, um, 
no worry that someone might sneak up ahead of them to grab Davion Mitchell, or he didn't have to do any maneuvering to make sure he got the guy he wanted. So that, that was sort of my takeaway is how inaccurate the mock drafts were and, and not to criticize them. It's hard, but that's, that's what I'm saying. It's just a hard thing to do and trying to predict what these guys are going to do um, after the first four picks seems impossible. Yeah. You know, the thing on mock drafts and I, you know, I'm like anyone, I followed them over the years and, and I, but I, I, my feeling has always been uh, basically the mock drafters talk to mock drafters, you know, it's the herd, it's a herd mentality. And so at some point, you know, it's a little bit like recruiting in college. Somebody becomes, he's a, he's a top five guy says who, well, the other bunch of guys that say he's the top five guy when sometimes uh, you know, somebody that's really fallen and kind of has a little better eye for it will say, no, he's not a top five guy. <laughs> There's 20 guys better than he is, but he becomes <laughs> a top five guy. And uh, uh, so, you know, you see that all the time. And I think that's what happened. And I don't, you know, I think the mock guys do, do as good as they can do. Yeah. But as you pointed out rightly, is that in the front offices, they're, they're going to throw out smokescreen. They're not going to ever tell you the truth unless they have to. Mm-hmm. It's to, to unless it's to their advantage, it will not tell you the truth, and rarely is it to their advantage. Was there a was there any team for either of you guys that you specifically thought, oh, they had they had a fantastic draft? You you came away with it thinking, man, I, I wish we'd have had the the draft that they had, or or at, at least that that you felt like they were the clear winners of the draft. Well, for me, it's Houston. Uh, Absolutely, here, Houston. Yeah. I mean, man, Sinjin and and Green. I mean, those guys. And, and, and Tony is really right about Sinjin. I, I didn't have that much background, but that guy's a player. Uh, I, I think there's a, I mean, this, you know, maybe faint praise, but it isn't in my mind. I mean, there's a lot of Brad Miller in that guy. I mean, that's a, a big guy mm-hmm. skilled and, and that, that plays and he's got, you know, he's, he's uh, got a little toughness about it. Uh, you know, so you know, all I know is Brad was a two-time all-star and people can say what they want about him, but it's, uh, if it wasn't for Vladi, he'd be the best big man I ever had here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, I was watching him in summer league uh, with Houston. Cause that was a, a fun, fun game the other day. And just the way that he, and we knew this going in, but the way that he draws fouls really reminded me of like early DeMarcus cousins where like, he wasn't necessarily finishing everything, but he was so physical that just the, the just the posting up is getting him to the free throw line six times a game. Um, which is good to see. I also like loved what the Warriors did in the draft, which is frustrating because they got uh, one great potential wing in Kuminga and another great wing win now type player in Moses Moody. So it's so it's always frustrating when the rich get richer there. But but good job to uh, the Warriors, I guess. <laughs> I'm going to right off here. I'm going to disagree with Tony for the first time in a while. Uh, <laughs> I think the I think the Warriors drafted very well. First of all, I, I totally agree with the picks. Mm-hmm. They did very well. The problem is that's not what they wanted. And that isn't going to put yeah. them over the hump at all. And they know it. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you that's a frustrated front office when they took those picks, even though they're very good picks, because they're looking at it, at the clock ticking on uh, with, with Steph and Clay and, and Draymond. And uh, by the time Kuminga, if he ever gets to be a major player, gets there, I'm not sure they will be. So I know they want to move those picks. And uh, yeah. maybe they, and they, they couldn't, but when you can't move them, the thing smart thing to do is to get the best players you can get for those picks. And I think they pretty much did. So that part, Tony, you're right. Otherwise you're damn wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fair. They're not, they, they are not the, uh, they're not the contender. They probably hope they'd be at this point. 
Yeah. You know, they, they probably don't have that last piece they were looking yeah, for. Yeah, Steph can play until he's 40, then maybe it'll work out. <laughs> that. But but uh, yeah. the, Chris, the Chris Pauls of the world aren't walking through that door right <laughs> They have a fantastic developmental team. Like their their JV team is the best is the best in the NBA. It's just they're trying to win a championship right now, and they don't need a great JV team. They need a great varsity team, and it's they're not quite there with it yet. But if a superstar is available, who's putting together a better package than Wiseman, Moody, and Kuminga? If you're a rebuilding team looking for a, a fresh start somewhere, so they do have the assets. Sure. If something, does oh, they happen. do. Oh, absolutely yeah. agree with that. And uh, actually, you probably should throw in uh, Wiggins in that because I think yeah. they would. And That's I mean, right. I think with Wiggins and one or two of those guys, any two of the, those guys, uh, they, they might still really get something. I would think they could, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if sadly, I, I think if they're after Siakam, uh, they've got to, some very intriguing pieces, you know? Yeah. yeah. Jerry, I also want to bring up with your Rockets thing, because I, I agree with you. I think the Rockets had by far the best draft. They also got Usman Garuba, who is maybe the perfect person to put next to uh, Alperin Shangun in terms of one guy is a, uh, is an, a completely dominant defensive presence. And one of the guys is completely an offensive presence. And I thought, I thought that pick was wonderful. And um, uh, they also got Josh Christopher, who I think is a really, really talented guy. So I was, you two are right. I think it's, it's clear that the Warriors and the Rockets had the best drafts by far and not, not saying that the Kings didn't have a wonderful draft. I just uh, sat there scratching my head like, man, I'm jealous of about six teams here. Yeah, and the scary part is, you know, that was the the worst team in the in the West. And you know, with yep. with the they got three guys coming back that are players. Sure. You know, Porter, mm-hmm. uh, of course, K- K- or John Wall. If in fact he decides he wants to be a basketball player as opposed to a diva, sure. uh, and and then Christian, you know, I mean, they 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 could trot out some some significant yes. talent and, and I, I think really uh, scared the heck out of teams that are ahead of them in high E <laughs> arcane. So, uh, so mm-hmm. let's get to free agency. Now um, we'll start with the, We'll start with the big news first. And that's uh, that Rashawn Holmes is coming back uh, to Sacramento for four years, uh, $46 million and, and some change. Uh, Jerry, I want to get your opinions first only because I know we've talked at length about Rashawn Holmes and what we thought his price range was. What do you think about Rashawn Holmes coming back and specifically at his price point? Well, I, I certainly uh, glad he's coming back. I mean, the Kings just weren't going to get better, in my opinion, losing another major asset. And, uh, you know, their third, fourth best player, however you want to put it. Uh, so, and I think with uh, McNair did a great job in getting him signed. I, it, it appeared that he had pretty much confidence he could do that. Uh and so I, I do think with the staff, they had a pretty good idea of the teams that were interested in Rashawn and how much room they had. And, you know, like in Charlotte's case, once they signed uh, Pumley, uh, I think they probably had, had reason to feel like they, they could keep him because uh, that was the team I thought probably would, would be willing to kind of go a little bit too high for him. Uh, so all things considered, I think it's a very fair deal. It's, it's a fair deal for Rashawn. I know he would like to add more. Who wouldn't? Uh, but it's 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 a good, a very good mm-hmm. contract uh, uh, for the Kings and for Rashawn. So uh, kudos. I mean, that's a, a A in my mind. Tony, what did you think about the move to bring Rashawn Holmes back at 46 mil? Yeah, we all knew that it, for the Kings to do anything this season, uh, the first step was making sure you don't lose Rashawn Holmes for nothing. And for as much as... Um, any, I'll speak for myself, but people have been critical of Monty McNair for various things that he, he has done. I'll give him all the credit in the world for 
like Jerry said, very confidently not trading him at the deadline. We had reports before Rashawn Holmes signed that the Kings were confident that Rashawn Holmes was going to sign. So it did seem like Monty McNair did play this perfectly because now he's got a, a starting center on one of the better non-rookie contracts that you're going to see out there. I mean, if you look at what Kelly Olynyk got or some of these other centers got or Davis Bertans last summer to get someone like Rashawn Holmes in your front court, what is it, average annual value is like 12 million or something like that on, on early bird rights. Um, just a great job by Monty McNair. And that's a, a huge win for the Kings when you can get your starting center at just above the MLE and have it be a very, very good, you know, top 20, top 15 ish starting center in the NBA. So great job by McNair and obviously very happy to have Holmes still in Sacramento. I believe it was Brett Huff that pointed out on Twitter that through the first three years of their contract, Kelly Olynyk was actually making more money than Rashawn Holmes was. Um, now Kelly has a, has only a partial guarantee in his fourth year, but to get, to get a Rashawn Holmes for Kelly Olynyk money, that's a, that's a fantastic value in my mind. And I, I'm, I'm sure Rashawn Holmes would have liked to have been the $18 million guy, but I'm sure as hell glad that he's back as the $12 million guy. I think that that's, that's fantastic news for Kings fans and, and for Monty McNair, especially. Um, so let's see here. We've got some other moves here. And the other one that I want to talk about first, only because uh, we went with the, the nice deal first. Now we're going to go with the most questionable deal. And that is the Sacramento Kings trading uh, DeLon Wright um, for Tristan Thompson. Uh, now Thompson is only uh, making a little under 10 mil and it's the last year of his deal. So it's not a long-term thing, but I'm curious as to what you guys think about this deal and where you think Monty McNair's head is at when he's trading somebody who was very successful with the Kings in his short stint for somebody who's kind of on the back end of his career, who's not in a position of need. Uh, I'm curious, Jerry, what do you think of that first? Well, I'll say this. If, if this trade was made in 2017, I'd really be happy about it. Uh, <laughs> but it's not 2017. And, uh, and I, I've not been a Tristan Thompson fan for some time. I, I, you know, I think several years ago, he was a guy that was going to give you the double-doubles, set good screens, could fit in with the really good players and all that. I, I think that's what Boston thought they were going to get when they got him, and I don't think they got that. Uh, now what, now will he, Tristan be a better player in Sacramento than he was in Boston? I don't know why you'd expect that, uh, for, for, for several weeks, except yeah. last year of his contract. Uh, yeah. that, that's really what you have going there. Now, just, I know reading all the comments and different thoughts on it on, on, on our, on the King's Herald. And I, I do that. I, I mean, I thought, Basically, uh, the point was made, and I think an absolutely accurate point was that the Kings gave up the best player in that trade, and that's Dallin Wright. Now, I understand with the guard situation, uh, they had too many guards, uh, but, but it's still true that Dallin Wright right now is probably a better basketball player. Different positions, apples and oranges, I know all that. But, but obviously, the Kings, uh, as it's turned out, uh, probably doesn't need Tristan Thompson. <laughs> and then now they didn't need necessarily Dellen Wright, but uh, it's also, but I guess in my, my, if in fact they needed one of the two due to injuries and stuff, I think if you had a couple guards go down, you'd, you'd wish you'd had Dellen Wright. <laughs> that, that would be my case. So uh, yeah, I'm not summarize. Uh, totally not a fan of this trade. I, I just, I just don't, uh, I don't care for it. That's all. Sorry. 
Tony, what about you? Yeah, I would put it the same way where it's where it's like uh, so I, the Kings also signed Alex Len, who I'm sure we'll talk about that trade, but it sort of fits here in this front court thing where it's like if they didn't have Alex Len, then maybe you go, all right, they got a backup center now. And I still don't love the trade, but at least I see where Tristan Thompson fits in. But now that Alex Len and Rashawn Holmes are here in the front court, I think, and maybe people would disagree, I think Alex Len's a better player than Tristan Thompson right now. So I don't necessarily see minutes for Tristan Thompson on the roster. It's almost like Monty McNair created a different sort of log jam with him. And I understand the DeLon Wright log jam at guard, but if you're going to have two players who don't have a clear spot in the rotation as of today, I'd much rather have a guy like DeLon Wright who can play one, two, or three is still in the prime of his career is a very good perimeter defender. And with the Kings talking about playing all these three guard lineups, well, who's the best guard to play three among all the guards the Kings had on their roster. To me, it's DeLon Wright, who is a, the veteran defender. He's a much taller and longer than the rest of the guards. So you could still get some value out of a guy who's in a log jam like DeLon Wright, where if Tristan Thompson is in a quote-unquote log jam in the front court now that he has Holmes and Len ahead of him, I don't see where he adds much value unless there is an injury, which in that case, the Kings are probably um, screwed anyways. So yeah, I don't, I don't like the trade. I understand why McNair did it to sort of rebalance things. But when you look at his following moves to bring in Holmes and Len, I'm not sure it actually did rebalance things because you just slotted that $9 million in a different, different position where there's already two guys ahead of him that are better. So I don't know what McNair was totally accomplishing there. I'm not a huge fan of it at the same time. Um, the consequence is probably going to be minimal unless we see some crazy injury to a guard or something and you find themselves in, in really rough shape and really needing DeLon Wright. But um, hopefully this doesn't, this doesn't come back to bite the Kings, but just uh, value for value. I wasn't a, a huge fan of it. You know, the other thing that uh, I just reading the comments, some people that seem to like the trade uh, used, uh, well, he can play power forward. It's like, in what world do you think that could happen? Uh <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, he can't dribble and pass and shoot. So, uh, uh, I, I'm, you know, Rashawn Holmes could play power forward much easier than, yeah. uh, than Tristan Thompson, and I wouldn't want to see that too much either. So, uh, so yeah, I just uh, – and then plus now you have two, you know, with Damian Jones if he's going to be back. And, and of course, the, the big draftee out of Utah State. I mean, you've got two, two young bigs that you – probably for very limited minutes, you'd almost like to see some of those, those guys get those minutes, but yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, so, and I mean, Tristan, I mean, uh, to his credit, I mean, he's had a good solid career. He's fourth pick in the draft when he came out, proved he could play on a winner in, in, in a certain role. Uh, and I just can't believe he'll be just all gung ho about being a Sacramento King. Uh, you know, maybe, Certainly, he'll probably conduct himself better than Hassan Whiteside. He'll act like he he cares, and that's it. But if that's your only bonus, I mean, because Hassan was making practically nothing, and right. and, and right. was very productive. He just, you know, we just didn't like him because he didn't look like he cared because he probably didn't. <laughs> I think you're right in that regard, Jerry. That I'd much rather see uh, Chimezi Metu, uh, Jones, and and Keita in those minutes, and I don't know how much a difference it would make. You know, maybe maybe a few rebounds here and there, but I'd much prefer them being in those minutes and, and working hard than, than Tristan Thompson, who uh, I'm, I'm not sure, just judging by what I saw from the Celtics last year, might not be doing much of anything this year with the Kings. Yeah, yeah you know, the final point, too, is, is that you, you make a great point is, OK, the only way to look at this stuff eventually is the W's and L's. 
So it's like say if, if Matt too and those guys play more, does that does that not does that get you a lot more L's? I suspect it doesn't. I'm not saying it gets you any more wins either. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, but I mean, it, it's not like we're talking uh, difference makers here. Any of them, sure. any of them, uh, you know, and that's the problem. This team needs, still needs a difference maker that they don't have. <laughs> mm -hmm. I guess one thing I would say, um, and I, Jerry, maybe you have a, a take on this. I don't know how transactions work or, or how much you think Monty McNair knew ahead, but he did make this trade before the Len signing, before the Rashawn Holmes re-signing. So do you think there was a part of it where uh, at some point um, maybe McNair thought that Tristan Thompson's role would be bigger than it will end up being after bringing in Len and then, oh, Holmes is actually coming back? Do you think maybe there's some element there where it's like he made the trade at one point, things change in a week, and then maybe if he could take it back now, he would. Obviously, it's too late. But do you think they, they look that far ahead, or do you think he would take this trade today, even knowing that Lennon Holmes are on the roster again? That's, those are great questions. I, I you know, I, I kind of think he probably he'd like to redo it, but that's just me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, because I, I really do think Alex Lynn's a better fit with yeah. Rashawn. I, I liked him last the last time he was with the Kings. I thought they made a real mistake in not keeping him as opposed to picking up Whiteside just because of the fit, you know, because he can – make a shot outside and he's physical. I mean, it's a, you, you have a, a different, you know, a little bit of a different center and, uh, and then, and, and Lynn doesn't have to clog up the, the post uh, and, you know, which a Thompson kind of does. And, and when you have uh, Fox, I mean, I, I think, boy, uh, and, and now Davion uh, as well as Halliburton, these are guys that want to get to the basket. Yep. And uh, so anyway, uh, Time will tell. I, I you know, wish, uh, really, I wish Tristan the best. He's been a good pro. I say, I thought his last year in Boston, and I think they, the reason he was available, they were very disappointed in him. Yes. And uh, so maybe he can get back to where he was a few years ago. Still young. He's still young enough. Yeah. yeah he's only 30 years old. It's not like he's a 36 year old center or something like that. No, huh? no. I'm, I'm curious as uh, Tony asked about, um, maybe Rashawn Holmes insurance in case he didn't resign. Could this also be, I saw somebody talking about this, that this could have been a way to pressure Rashawn Holmes into taking the deal that Monty McNair maybe was being a craftsman and saying, okay, well, we we're trading for Tristan Thompson and we're, we're going to sign Alex Lynn. So you go ahead and go get your money elsewhere. And that brought them back to the, back to the table or anything else like that. As a GM, would you have ever signed a, a player as a kind of a pressure move to like, you're not getting you're not getting twelve million dollars out there now because we know that the market for you in you know uh, like the Hornets and whatnot they they've moved on they've got Plumlee now and if you want to come back to the table well then we'll do it. I'm curious would a GM ever do something like that? Well, I'm sure they have, I'm no doubt about it. I, I don't know that it's good strategy, and I sure. seriously doubt that if Monty did that. I I mean, because what you can pay Rashawn is what you can pay. True. And that was always there. And and as things dried up, and I mean, certainly, you know, Monty as well as uh, Rashawn's agent, uh, you know, they're not in a vacuum. They have to know that, boy, there's the teams that have cap room that were interested in you. Some of them don't have it anymore. Sure. And so, uh, so I, yeah, I, I, I would want to believe that wasn't part of the strategy sure. if, if in fact there was strategy. Sure. So we got some other guys that, uh, that the Kings ended up signing. Um, Mo Harkless comes back for a two year, $9 million deal. 
Terrence Davis comes back for a two-year, $8 million deal. And we've talked a little bit about Alex Lynn, who's going to be in Sacramento for uh, two years on a $7.65 million deal. Do any of those uh, guys impress you or move the needle in any way for you? Well, they're not needle movers, but uh, I think I will say this for Monty, and I, I really think those are for good deals. I mean, I, I might not have did quite as much for Harkless, but, you know, I mean, with Alex Lynn and, and Terrence Davis, and those are terrific deals. I mean, it, you know, we've, we've seen the $12 million a year for Corey Joseph and Dwayne Dedmans and, and George 20 for George Hill, you know, and, and so, you know, that ship, thank God, has sailed. And uh, these these are these are legitimate NBA players. They've proven it. Uh, are they? But they're not needle movers. And a needle mover yet to be acquired. <laughs> Tony, do you do you have any thoughts on any of these deals? Yeah, I am just. Uh, if you bear with me one second, I'm pulling up the box score for the first game of last season, and I'm going to make a point here. Okay, so this is who the Kings had on their bench at the beginning of last year. Uh, Corey Joseph, Hassan Whiteside, Nemanja Bielitsa, who was kind of on the outs, Glenn Robinson, Justin James, Robert Woodard, Kyle Guy, Jamias Ramsey. That's full of second round picks and unproven guys and some minimum contract veterans. Monty McNair this year gave Luke Walton a lot more, in my opinion, playable depth. And like Jerry, I'm not a huge fan of the amount of money that he gave Mo Harkless, but that bench of Len and even I'll throw Thompson in there and, um, and Terrence Davis and Mo Harkless, that is a infinitely more capable and confident bench than McNair gave Luke Walton last offseason and going into last season. So if, if McNair's uh, goal of reaching the playoffs is what we think it is, um, I think he gave Luke Walton a much more valuable uh, bench and one that could actually support a playoff starting lineup. Now we can I can question, certainly if the Kings have, that playoff quality starting lineup yet. I don't really think they do. I think they're still missing a piece, but I think the pieces around um, whatever the core is, whatever that starting lineup looks like is much, much better heading into this season than it was last year when really McNair sort of punted the off season and didn't really bring in any sort of help. So uh, while I can quibble with some of the dollar figures for a guy like Harkless, I, you, you can't, you can't um, disagree that this isn't a much improved bench in depth from, from what Monty McNair gave Walton last year. Yeah, and I think another important point there is that, you know, you do have some assets to trade. Now, as Kings fans, we know that maybe the assets aren't quite the value we wanted them to be, i.e. Buddy Bagley and different things, but but they're there. And, and all you, to my mind, it, it's, it's easy to say hard to do, but uh, come up with one player. Yeah one player that you can plug in mm -hmm. uh, with those, and it doesn't even, you know, just a guy that's uh, uh, going to be a legitimate 25, 30 minute guy that uh, gives you something you don't have. And hopefully you've got enough assets uh, to get that. And I, I kind of think you do. You just may have to, to maybe uh, bite down a little hard. You may not, you, you know, the guys you think what their value is, is maybe not what their value is. And, uh, and uh, you know, make the best deal you can and move on. Sure. Um, I'm curious now. Um, we also have a, a kind of a question here because uh, Buddy and Bagley are still on the roster. I know there was a, a move that was on the one-yard line um, for, for Buddy that would have returned uh, Kyle Kuzma, uh, Montrezl Harrell, and possibly a, a number 22 pick in the draft. Um, I'm, I'm curious, though, um, how you guys feel about these two guys being – being on the roster and if you feel like the plan has changed for them 
uh, whether or not they're getting moved sometime in this offseason or not. Well, I know this. I mean, if that, you know, with Monty, if he had, you know, obviously he wanted to do that deal, or at least we're led to believe that by everybody, that'd been a great deal for the Kings. You know, I mean, and, and maybe would have, uh, you know, the, the deal we're talking about, the Tristan Thompson thing, that would probably would not have been a, uh, been, been a factor. But, uh, you know, you move, buddy, you keep Dallin, you, you know, you got Montrez Harrell, who is a friggin' scorer, who can play some four and five uh, more. You know, he's an undersized five that we know it's hard to guard. And then, of course, Kuzma gives you that wing you don't have. That uh, three, four guy. Uh, well, but it didn't happen. But I mean, uh, I think that if there is a positive you can take from it is the fact that had uh, the Westbrook thing not popped up, that was the deal the Lakers were going to do. So it does show you that Buddy Hield, that, that Buddy Hield has some value. That I, and I and I do believe he does. I mean, he he can shoot the basketball, and yes, his contract is his contract, and it uh, it's probably. Uh, you know, uh, you, you may have to adjust a little, but but I, I thought it was encouraging that Buddy, you know, basically uh, had that kind of uh, a juice. So uh, those are two players. Yeah, I think if you had gone back a year and said that Buddy Heald has the same, uh, uh, he's one KCP away from having the same amount of, uh, you know, tradeability as, uh, as Russell Westbrook, I'd have, I'd have been on the floor. I'd have assumed Buddy won an yeah. MVP or something like that in order to get there. So um, is there any concern at all, though, Jerry, that this is now two years in a row that the Kings have kind of awkwardly fallen out of a trade that would have made them considerably better last year uh, with with uh, Bogdanovich and this year with Buddy? Well, yeah, I, I think it, it, it's a concern. I mean, you you can't make trades if the other team backs out or becomes illegal. I mean, so uh, for whatever reasons, but uh, but I do think it means that uh, you you better cross your dot your you know your t's and dot your i's here a little bit I think uh, and and I don't and I certainly don't blame uh, Monty in any way shape or form for the Laker thing you know that that, that so that 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 can't be attached to him I think with the the boxing of a year ago I don't really blame him for that because Bogey didn't want that deal and then uh, somebody probably his agent let it out there because he didn't want that deal <laughs> you know and, uh, and and as Kings fans we can say well he'd been better off there and maybe he would have although he was in the Eastern Finals for God's sakes with the against the Bucks <laughs> uh, but but I mean if you're but if you're bogey and his agent it's like well would you really rather have six seven million dollars more a year and play for the Hawks as opposed to Bucks well in the real world yeah you would sure uh, because it's his last deal is there, is there a world, Tony, where you see uh, Buddy Heald coming back um, for another season or another half season with the Sacramento Kings? Yeah, I think if Monty McNair can't find a trade he likes, he'll go into the season with Buddy. And I don't – honestly, I don't know if that's, like, the worst thing in the world either. I, I, I would hope that – I guess my fear there is that we didn't see – for as much as the Kings are talking about three-guard lineups, and they used some of them, but McNair never uh, – sorry, Walton never started – Fox, Buddy, and Halliburton together for any significant stretch last season. So I do, from that perspective, I do wonder how much Luke Walton is willing to rely truly on the three-guard lineups. Um, I would hope that he does, but his track record maybe suggests that, that he hasn't in the past as much. Um, but I do think there's a chance that Buddy is back. And what I do think is very interesting is that 
if the Kings end up trading for someone like Siakam or, Sim- or Simmons before the season, it'll actually be a blessing in disguise that the Lakers trade didn't happen because the Kings need that buddy healed contract to match up with any of these higher end players. And uh, if they're the Kings could be in the position where instead of having Kuzma and Harold, they suddenly have a Siakam or a Simmons and we'll see how much draft capital the Kings would have to give up to close the gap there and make that happen. But I don't think that trade not happening is a, is a massive loss for the Kings. And I think the Kings could end up even doing better just because uh, now that the dust has sort of settled on free agency teams can reassess what they need in a different light. And maybe the Kings get a better return for buddy. So nothing would surprise me there, whether he's traded again or if he's back for some part of next season. And I actually personally didn't love the Kuzma Harrell return as much as some other people. So it could end up being a win at the end of the day too, for McNair. I, t- I kind of agree with that a little bit is that, I mean, I like the month, the Harold and Kuzma thing makes you, you have a better roster, but you don't have a needle mover sure. mm-hmm. now. And I know I say it too mm-hmm. much, but see, see, Occam and Simmons are needle movers. You know, and so you're you're a thousand percent right. If for some way it, it turns out you get one of those guys, uh, then you got reason to believe you're a way better team. Uh, the other way, you're better just because your roster's better, but you're still, you know, you know, fighting, wallowing around down there, hoping to be some way getting to ten. You know, I mean, that's 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 what we're talking yeah. about. Is there any uh, is there any chance, Jerry, that you see? Um, I guess we'll say it this way. Uh, currently, the Kings have a, a a roster that is incredibly imbalanced in my mind. It's 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 a lot. It's uh, there's a, a a distinct lack of small forwards and power forwards or guys that can stretch that way. And I'm curious if you think that points to the Kings had a chance maybe to go get a Kelly Oubre or go get an Otto Porter, Otto Porter Jr. that might have been able to fill those roles. And instead, stuck with what they had. And I'm curious as to whether or not you think that that kind of lightly points to the direction of they think a Pascal Siakam move or a Ben Simmons move could be getting done. And they're just waiting on making a, a move at small forward because they know there's somebody that they want out there that, that, that will fill that hole that, that currently sits there on the Kings roster. Well, you know, I hope so. You know, to be honest with you, because uh, it's like Oubre is a mm-hmm. good basketball player. Otto Porter yeah. used to be a really good basketball player. And uh, I'm just not sure uh, how much confidence you'd have that those guys, you know, here again, it probably makes your roster a little better. Does not make your team better? And I, I, I would like to believe that right now the Kings brain trust is saying, we, we really need to go get, you know, for us to have a better roster that could compete, we need to get somebody better than just about anybody we have and not, Sure. And, and that, to me, it's as simple as that. They, they, uh, I think they've got to get a, a player as good or better than any player on, on the roster today in order to think they can compete for a playoff spot of the West. And without that, I think, uh, you know, we're looking at the teams behind, you know, the Pelicans and the Rockets and some of those teams. And, you know, the, I mean, those, those teams, uh, I think, are better. And so, uh, you know, so anyway, uh, you know, I, I hope that's what they're doing. I do. I mean, hey, uh, don't don't settle for just another guy. We we got a whole bunch of other guys. I haven't asked you guys this on the air, so I'm curious as to to your opinions now. Do you have a preference, Jerry, one way or another, on Pascal Siakam versus Ben Simmons on who you'd prefer for this Kings roster? Well, if if Siakam was healthy tomorrow and you knew it, you could trot him out there. 
I'd probably go Siakam just with this team. Uh, I think Ben Simmons is, you know, is potentially the the much better player. But I still I I did watch him in the in the playoffs, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and I I know those things can be improved, but it's still if they can't, then you you do have an issue yourself. So eh, I, I just like the idea that Siakam was probably the second or no worse than third best player on a world champion. Uh, an a- actual world champion and he's still young enough and and he sure he sure fills in a lot of the slots we're talking about but the in- but sure. you know you but there is a but it's just like with Simmons and his flaws a guy coming off what shoulder surgery and stuff like that I and and if you're not able to play for 60 games or 40 games or something like that I I don't know I, I'd, I'd have to really trust the doctor's uh, on that one you know really and I mean and, and doctors are wrong too but uh, you know it's just like uh, you're starting you're counting on guys coming off injury being the same everybody can't be Kevin Durant you know and, and that uh, and that took took him a, a while too absolutely Tony do you have a preference one way or another taking in contract taking in injury history taking in not being able to shoot past four feet uh yeah I love Ben Simmons I can't help it I like them both I take them I take either one of them my preference is Ben Simmons um and I guess the easiest way I'll distill my reason why is I think his he his um his price on the trade market is the most depressed I think it's ever been and, and hopefully ever will be so I think this would be the example of the Kings taking advantage of one of these weird situations where a star wants out where I feel like Siakam is a little bit more uh well his his market is also probably depressed because of the injuries and he had a weird year last year um I think his value is sort of where it would be regardless and maybe I'm wrong on that where I feel like Simmons coming off this disastrous playoff run his uh the narrative around his career is a lot more harsh than maybe the reality is and I feel like if the Kings can take advantage of of that situation and bring in a player like Simmons who they couldn't dream of acquiring at the end of let's say last season. Um, that's sort of where I come in on Ben Simmons, where I just feel like his ceiling is still uh, very high. I know he can't shoot. I know he was rough in the playoffs, but I still am a Ben Simmons believer. And I, I'm prepared to be proven wrong on, on that one. If this trade happens, yeah. but that's Rod Paul. I, I'd be love to be proven wrong too, by the way. <laughs> either, either way. I, you know, I love Simmons yeah. as a player too. I, I like I say, it's just, but yeah, there's a, uh, a lot of things you got to be sure of. I, I, I will say one thing about Simmons. I think it takes more to get Simmons. I, I don't think you get Simmons. It probably does. I, I just Absolutely, don't yeah. think you get Simmons without Fox. And I think you could get yeah. Siakam without Fox. So that'd be yep. probably it. But still, I wouldn't trade for him if I wasn't sure about his injuries. You know, that, that he could, that, you know, or reason, at least the doctors or somebody's got to sure. be on the line for it. It's, it's interesting. Ben Simmons is a case of perception versus reality in the sense of, what people think he's worth, what everyday people like you and me think he's worth versus what Daryl Morey is demanding of him. And I know a lot of people think it's a smokescreen or he's trying to drive his value mm-hmm. back up to try to, you know, save face. But Daryl Morey's turned down some really, really good offers or has asked for some pretty insane things for Ben Simmons. And yet there are, I mean, there's a contingency of Kings fans that are like, I'd do it if I couldn't, if I didn't have to trade Fox or Halliburton. And that's one of those things that's like, you, you aren't getting, you aren't getting uh, Matisse Thibel for that, much less <laughs> Ben Simmons. And so he is a curious case where the general manager is screaming at the top of his lungs. We want everything for him. And most, most everyday people are kind of like, 
you know, outside of maybe Sixers fans are like, yeah, well, I wouldn't give my second or third best guy for him, but may, maybe the, maybe our, our, our bench guys. And uh, Jerry, is there any, is there any uh, mm-hmm. strategy that you see from Daryl Morey that like, do you think he's, he's worth that to other GMs around the league that he's worth a King's ransom and that other GMs know it? Or do you see that as Daryl Morey being desperate, trying to drive that value up as much as possible so he could settle somewhere in the middle and regain some of that value that he lost after the playoffs this year? I do think it's a case of uh, uh, Daryl kind of being a little bit desperate, throwing out a smoke screen. You know, I, I mean, there, there's no reason to come allow things out there, uh, you know, that uh, are things you might actually accept. You know, I mean, it's a negotiation, you know, throw it out there because, you know, a lot of teams want him. He knows a lot of teams want him. And so throwing out a, you know, like you got to ask, I got to have seven first rounders, two all-stars and a partridge in a pear tree. Well, yeah, you could, you could say that. Uh, but I like to say, I, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think it'll get closer to reality as we get closer to October, because I think Simmons camps had enough and I don't think they, you know, I don't think it is to either advantage maybe to come back. It's, you know, the media has tried to make it like Damian Lillard tried to be traded, which he's never said a word about it and now it's pretty clear that the Simmons camp uh, you know would like to be and Maury has to know that so yeah is his price going to be high yes is it going to be as high as Maury's throwing out there I don't believe that for a second can I ask Jerry a question um because I've had this thought rolling around in my head with regards to Ben Simmons if you're a GM like Daryl Maury do you ever try and win a trade in the court of public opinion by dealing your player to Sacramento and saying like, like, Oh, I'm going to send him to NBA purgatory or whatever and show like, I'm not going to lose this trade because Ben Simmons is going to go to Sacramento. They're going to be out of the playoffs for his entire prime. And he's going to prove me right. Meanwhile, I'll g- I'll gather my assets. Cause I know that we've seen some spite trades in the NBA in the past. I don't know how ugly it is in Philadelphia where it's like, all right, I'll send this guy wants to leave. I'll show him that you know i'll see how much he really wants to leave. i'll send him to sacramento do gms ever think that way not that maury would take a considerably worse trade from the kings but things being equal if maury can send simmons to a place where he's n- probably not preferred to go to uh does that ever factor in uh, actually i think it does but not by the any successful gm <laughs> I, I think uh, yeah. i mean i i think you know it's i've i've, I've equated more to like a mafia don you know it's just it's, yeah. it's just business it's just business and yeah. i think that daryl morey would fit that completely it's just business uh would he keep simmons if he can't get the deal he wants yes he can because he doesn't have to coach sure. Uh, he uh, mm-hmm. will uh, heal, but he will trade him wherever he thinks his best deal, whether it's Sacramento or the Lakers or, you know, he might not do it to Boston, but, but I mean, you know, that, that, they would, that would be that. I, so no, I, I, I'm familiar enough with Daryl. I, I mean, I think he is, like you say, it's, it's business. And, uh, and if he trades him, it'll be because he thinks it's a good deal for the 76ers and the best deal that he can get. Sure. Just just to go over some of those deals that the Sixers have reportedly asked, uh, they asked San Antonio for four first-round picks, three first-round pick swaps, and a young player in return for Simmons. They asked the the Warriors for Andrew Wiggins, James Wiseman, the seventh pick, the 14th pick, and two future first-rounders for Ben Simmons. And then they asked the Toronto Raptors for Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananubi, 
the fourth pick in the draft to, to get Simmons. I feel like if we're, if we're talking about, well, we don't really want to include Halliburton in this, the Kings don't have a chance. Yeah. And, and but you'll notice that, that uh, the 76ers did not make any of those trades. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and, and that those mm-hmm. weren't going to happen. And I think that the reason they got out there, Maury made sure that the particulars got out there just to say, look, this is, this is what it's going to take, knowing full well that no, it won't take that much. But you know, I, so that I've just never bought into. To me, that's just uh, that's just smokescreen, uh, trying to create, trying to get to the value, as close to the value that you think you need, knowing full well what you're throwing out there is well above that. I'm curious, uh, Jerry, as a general manager, did you ever get to a point where somebody offered you? or asked such high prices or they gave you bullshit like this, where it's like, I want seven picks and a young player that you just shut them off completely that I know that you just said it's a mafia Don and it's, it's just business, but sometimes isn't in business. It's just like, I'm not dealing with that guy because he's a crazy person or, or he's pissed me off one too many times, maybe not a spite trade, but the spite trade not made because you're like, no, Daryl, Daryl, Daryl asked me for nine picks for Ben Simmons, I'm not doing it again with him. Oh yeah, I, I, I definitely think my dealings over the years with uh, Jerry Krause of Chicago was like that. He was uh, he was always willing to trade you the twelfth man for you the seventh pick, you know. And he'd always say, "Well, you know, he's got two rings or he's got three. I said, "Yeah, so is your trainer. Uh, he's got three rings, and I ain't trade for him either. But but uh, you know, and I, I I mean Jerry was. You know, he's hard to deal with personally and, and business wise, but he was good at his job and he was just doing, you know, hopefully, to, you know, th- you know, throwing spitballs against the wall and seeing if they stuck, you know, and, and you know, you just find, yeah, Jerry, you're full of shit. So, you know, go on. Uh, we're, we, we need help, but we don't need your, we got guys every, every bit as good as your bad players. Sure. You know, <laughs> we don't need more of those. <laughs> was there any team uh, looking more at an NBA perspective here uh, generally that you saw had a good free, excuse me. Hey, your voice is changing. Sorry, yeah. I'm choking yeah. on myself here. Yeah, my voice. <laughs> Puberty too. Um, <laughs> is there anybody that you think had a really great NBA uh, uh, free agency so far? Oh, that's a great question. I, I, I kind of like uh, the Knicks uh, getting Kemba Walker. I think, uh, you know, I know he's not Kemba. I know Tony probably – rolling over at this moment but but i'll i'll be surprised if kimba doesn't have a much better year uh with the knicks and and i think it's kind of what they need uh you know return kind of the home and the whole thing so i think that'll be a good one some minor deals i mean very minor that shouldn't even probably be discussed but i, I kind of liked uh, just little ones like uh, a mcdermott going to san antonio uh, you know he he's gotten better and better and he's really ready to be a pretty good player and Poppy Pops getting him at the right time, you know, and then, uh, then Rudy Gay going to Utah. Yeah. I think Rudy doesn't have a lot left in the tank, but with that team, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think he could be a nice yeah. pickup. Yeah. I liked what, uh, and I hate to say this, but the, the Lakers after the rust trade, which I'm not the, the biggest fan of that fit, but what they did around, around those three I thought was very good and I shouldn't be surprised because the Lakers do this every year where they get veterans to come in on cheap money to to fill out their bench but getting guys like Malik Monk and Wayne Ellington and uh I think Carmelo who I'm not a, a huge fan of again but on minimum contracts basically these guys filling out 
your roster with as good of depth as the Kings have trying to go out and get guys. I mean, that's the LA, uh, that's what it's, that's what life is like if you're a Palinka and you can run the Lakers and you just get these guys to come in on veteran minimum deals. But it was, uh, it was frustrating to see them continue on my feed to sign these players for nothing and fill out this bench of shooters when everyone was worried about them having enough shooting. So I guess, um, and they might get Schroeder back too, because no one else seems to want him. So the Lakers could be having a, a sneaky good offseason too, despite the fact that they, they traded for Russ, who makes an awkward fit there with the rest of those guys. But yeah, you know, I, those are great points too. And I think maybe even they got Avery Bradley or think they have, I don't know. And, uh, but, but you know, the Schroeder thing is interesting because obviously he's very good, but he sure yeah. priced himself out of the market and, and you've got to be, be kind of careful of that. But, but the Lakers, you know, I, I, I could go on a 10 minute hate rant here you know yeah. uh, you know people forget that Shaquille O'Neal wasn't drafted <laughs> by the Lakers uh, Abdul Jabbar was not drafted by the Lakers Wilt Chamberlain wasn't drafted by the Lakers and they you know pulled a lot of shenanigans with Kobe Bryant because uh in order to you know because he wanted to be with the Lakers and all that and it's like you know but you know what, what are you going to do the only only saving grace for me over the years has been the fact that uh, Commissioner Stern stepped in and disallowed the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers, which which yeah. was probably a justifiable trade. But I thought, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah good. Just damn good. Yeah. Yeah, enough bad things can't happen to the Lakers. Yeah. So. yeah. We've lost our two Lakers listeners. We had we probably had two clinging on there somewhere, and now they're gone. Yeah, well, bless their hearts. I mean, yeah, well, I, I don't do, do this. You know, everybody's got a right to be fans and they're easy to be fans of but, but they have every sure. they have every advantage and it's just like we talked about i mean you know when you can have several of the greatest players in the history of the game demand almost demand to be traded there uh or go there as a free agent you know come on you know it's nice. a, it, yeah, it's got to be a, a little bit of an advantage you think um I, i'm curious about uh, your thoughts on a couple of moves here and one is a former laker somebody who uh, our own Tim Maxwell has loved for a very long time, and he is now out of reach for the next few years. And that's Alonzo Ball getting moved uh, to the Chicago Bulls uh, from the New Orleans Pelicans for Tomas Santoransky, uh, former King Garrett Temple, and a second-round pick in cash. Do you guys have any, uh, you guys have any uh, ideas on what you think of that move or, or whether or not that was a good move on the Pelican side of things or, or how that'll work out for the Chicago Bulls? I like it from the Bulls. I mean, Lonzo Ball, to me, has gotten better every year. He's gotten so he can make some shots. He's a really terrific uh, playmaker, mm -hmm. uh, good instincts. Uh, you know, he and Levine, uh, that should be a, a really good backcourt. And Levine needs somebody back there that can maybe keep him under control because, uh, you know, Zach will, Take a bad shot now and then, uh, <laughs> gladly, or five. Uh, but uh, but I, I I think it I think the Bulls that's a good move. I, I you know it's with the Pelicans I don't understand. I, it's nothing against Sadoretsky or certainly Garrett Temple. Those guys are NBA players, but uh, the best player of that group is in Chicago. Yeah, and Chicago also got um, DeRozan. They got Vucevic at the deadline last year. They got Caruso off the bench. So I think. Chicago is in some ways like the best example of them going for it. Something that we kind of thought the Kings would do this off season. And they, they really haven't yet. Maybe they will continue to do that, but uh, Chicago, um, I don't know. It's nice to see a team finally get their core together. It's like, all right, we're going to try and try and win this time. And they put together a pretty good roster. I thought, and the Pelicans on the other, on the other side, like 
I don't know, as a Kings fan, I kind of get excited that they seem to be fumbling this Zion Williams thing with, with some of the moves they're making. So I don't <laughs> wish, uh, I don't wish bad upon anyone, but if you're the Kings, you can use all the help you can get. And if the Pelicans are kind of making some questionable moves, um, I guess I'll take that too. You know, the, uh, the one move they made, I think is probably good is getting Valanchunas over yes. Steven Adams. And I, I mean, I think Adams is the better player, but I don't think he's a better player for them. Mm. Uh, you know, he'd be the better player for sure. a lot of teams, but, uh, but I thought, you know, it, it, Adams just didn't work there last year. And I think Valanchunas uh, will make them better. Uh, but, but yeah, the, the, the Lonzo ball thing, I, I don't know what was going on behind the scenes or if there was anything, but uh, sure seems other than the injuries. And I still think, you know, that's a concern with Lonzo. He seems to, he seems to miss a lot of games. And uh, at some point you want your point guard to, trot out there about 75 times a year if you can the other move i wanted to uh, get your opinions on only because i felt like this was a really good work by them is uh the miami heat getting kyle lowry and the raptors in return getting precious achua and uh, goran Dragic, who i think is going to be cut or, or 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 signed out to go somewhere else um what did you guys think of that move in particular for the heat well i think i think it makes the heat awfully good uh, you know, I, I think, you know, you know, with Pat Riley, they're not, they were a disappointment this year, just never really got it going after the great run they had last year. And, and uh, Pat's, uh, you know, basically felt they needed, you know, basically what they got. And Lowry probably does have a, another good year or two. I don't know. You know, he's not Chris Paul, but he's, he's damn good. He's a leader and probably the one guy in America other than Chris Paul that Jimmy Butler might actually yeah. listen to. And, uh, and so you got two, you know, two tough buckaroos there. And uh, yeah, I think the Miami Heat, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be back. They're going to be back contending. They got PJ Tucker as well. So that's going to, I mean, who wants to play the Miami Heat? Not me. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely not. And I thought, yeah. I thought the Raptors got a, a, got a nice return for Kyle Lowry, who was looking to go elsewhere. I think Precious Achua is a fantastic fit for their kind of young, quickly rebuilt roster. And, and if, I mean, one year in heat culture is enough to, uh, to rub off and everything else. Like he's gone from two really nice organizations and I can see them uh, starting precious at some point and, and having enough in the tank to push for a play in game or something like that with that young roster. Yeah. He's, he's a nice player. I mean, it just, it just a matter of experience and learning to play, I think. And uh, yeah, you're right there. And Kendrick Nunn, I forgot that from the, he went to the Lakers as well, he did. didn't he? Yeah, he did. I mean, uh, that's another really nice pickup there. Uh, so uh, they got Dwight this. too. Didn't they get Dwight back as they well? They did get Dwight. Oh Howard yeah. Back. Well, that that might that might actually <laughs> yes. help everybody else. I'm feeling. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> Dwight might be enough to really screw things up. I don't good. know. Right, good. I like that. I like he's that. a he's a sleeper for the other teams to get back on yeah. the Lakers. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's uh, let's cut into the last bit that I had here, and that's a uh, th- th- that uh, this last week the Sacramento Kings held their uh, California Classic. Um, Summer League is now going on. The Kings have their at the time of recording their first game here in about three hours. Um, I'm curious as to what you guys saw at the California Classic, both positive and negative. Uh, how you think our main guys fared, and if anyone uh, jumped out or surprised you on the uh, on the Kings roster? Well, I, I don't think anybody surprised me. I was. You know, be honest with you, I, I've never been very enthused with Woodward or Ramsey. I've just, I just watched them in the G League last year. I just never really saw NBA players there. And I know a lot of our fans saw that different. I think they 
saw Woodward's body and just decided that counted for something. And there is no stat that I've seen that says body on it. You know, it's, uh, you know, it, so, so I, I didn't think those guys showed me anything I didn't, you know, that I didn't expect. And I hope they show more as we go here, but, uh, Davion, of course, that's the key one. Uh, you know, uh, the first game, he looked really good. Uh, you know, you saw the quickness, you saw the defensive intensity, the, the ability to make some shots, uh, I thought played extremely well. In the second game, I, I didn't think was very good. Uh, the the, the uh, thing that would concern me uh, a little bit about him, I, I like his quickness. Uh, I think uh, he certainly looks like an NBA player. If if on a short just look there, and I mean, we'll know a lot more coming out of Vegas once they play some games. But, you know, it, it's hard to see star. And, uh, you know, and you want to see star. And you, you really, mm -hmm. are, you, it's hard to see that you see, you see player potential, good player. And, uh, and then the, 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 the real negative I do have, and I, and I, I hope that Vegas clears this up, but his assist turnover ratio is terrible and he has got to do a better job. Yeah. Now, part of it is not his fault. I mean, you're playing with guys who can't mm -hmm. score. So pretty tough to get assists when you thought somebody who can't actually shoot or make a play. And so uh, th that'll get better in the, in, in Vegas. And so, so I don't have, I don't mean he should come out with four to one assist turnover ratio, but it can't be one to four. <laughs> and, and so I, I always say with summer league and all that stuff, it, it uh, what you, it's kind of like G league. I mean, uh, if you go down there, you know, you, you really need to, to be outstanding. That doesn't mean you're going to be outstanding in the NBA, but, but if you're not outstanding, that's a pretty good indicator. You're not going to be very good. <laughs> you know, it's a lesser competition. So it's, it's one of those things. Yes. You, you need to be outstanding. You don't have to be the best, but you need to be outstanding. Uh, just like watching uh, Jalen green in his first outing. Yes. He was outstanding. Mm -hmm. That's yes. what you're looking for. Uh, so anyway, that, that, that'd be my thoughts there. A little, you know, overall, you'd like the quickness size as a factor, no question, but, but he's the tough little buckaroo. You see that. Yeah. And, uh, but he's good, but as a small guard, he's got to do better assist to turnover and, uh, you know, and be a, you know, I think just a more consistent, uh, uh, productive player. Tony, was there anything that stood out to you, uh, during the California classic? Yeah, I think um, Jerry hit on Davion, so I'll kind of talk about, uh, well, Robert Woodard and Ramsey, I thought were pretty invisible out there, which is not at all what you need to see from those guys coming into year two. I thought Luke King struggled a lot, but he wasn't invisible, which at least he, he, like, he has a pulse, you know, he was taking shots, he was being aggressive, he was playing hard. And you look at, again, you look at Woodard and Ramsey and you, you would forget they're even on the court most of the time. And that's just not... That's not going to cut it if you're um, getting guaranteed, guaranteed contracts in the NBA heading into a, a year on a team that is trying to make the playoffs. So I wonder what the future holds for those two guys. Um, we'll see. Hopefully they play better in Vegas. But uh, for some of the other more fringe guys, I thought Emmanuel Terry's energy at center was awesome. Right from the jump of game one, you could tell from the first minute in the game, like, oh, this is one of those dudes that just plays really hard all the time. Don't know if he has the size to play in the NBA. But as a summer league guy, I love what you saw from Terry. And I also liked um, Matt Coleman just being an aggressive, undrafted dude as a guard. Sometimes his shot was uh, maybe too aggressive, a little bit of um, 
a little bit of J.R. Smith in him. I don't know, a little bit of Chuck. <laughs> but again, it's summer league. That's what you you kind of want to see that. And that's what I'm I'm was begging to see from Woodard or Ramsey. Like, why aren't you guys this aggressive? You guys go out there and, and get your own shot. You guys go out there and prove to Monty that you belong on this team again. And they didn't do it in, in California Classic. Maybe they'll do it in Vegas, but um those are some of the some of the things that that I sort of noticed and and I'm in thinking about heading into Vegas as if those second round picks from last year can show anything that would make McNair think that bringing them back is a good idea. You know, one thing that uh, that I noticed, and this is the smallest of things, but I was I was watching. Uh, I was really surprised that Namias uh, Akata moved as well as he did. Uh, he's not he's not Willie Cauley Stein by any means, but when he was hustling up and down the court. He was, he was moving like he, he was not, I was expecting Roy Hibbert out there a little bit just because of his size and, 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 and thickness, but he, he can move a little bit. And, you know, while he, he was kind of limited and I think there was an injury there that he was still kind of nursing a little bit, they'd said that, that they held him out of that first game, that second game, I kind of, it kind of intrigued me. I want to see him in an NBA setting, or at least I'm, I'm more excited for him even still in summer league because I want to see if he can, if he can, you know, on a third game in four nights or something, run as fast as he as he has because uh, he's already a, a big specimen. He's already somebody that has a fantastic block rate. Who we've talked about has has a has a nice little eye for passes. But if he's not the top five slowest NBA players in the league, like I'll be really really excited for him. Even if it is just G League games, I'll be making my way down to Stockton just to make sure I can see that man sprint up the court. Um, the other thing is um, I was, I was with you, uh, Tony, and that Emmanuel Terry was just that energy guy that he was like, he got me hyped up a little bit. Like he got me like, Oh, I got to go do something. <laughs> like, like I'm sitting on the couch watching, watching TV and his hustle and his, and his, his butt busting. It was like, I'm, I got to go to the gym later, you know, and those kinds of guys, while they're probably, a dime a dozen in the G League and whatnot. You need to have a summer league roster with at least one of those guys to make it interesting. Almost in a Jack Cooley uh, style of uh, just mm-hmm. just that that brings other guys up. That brings some of the guys, the marquee guys, up for the summer league. That 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 makes them uh, that makes them work a little bit harder. And so I I appreciated his work on the uh, uh, on the defensive and offensive end of, of those two games in Sacramento. Um, so let's uh, let's get to uh, our Patreon question of the day, Tony. All right. Um, got actually a few good questions this week for the, the Patreon question. Um, every episode on the show, we ask one question from our, our Kings community. Uh, any other com- questions that get submitted and not asked, we do a Patreon exclusive show once a month where we ask all the extra questions. Um, the question this week actually came from uh, Mirin Sumura, one of our, our new writers at the Kings Herald, who asked a, a question that I, I wanted Jerry's insight from, so I plucked it out of the hat, even though it was one of our contributors. Um, and she asks, a bit off topic, but a question for your pod with Jerry. Players have expressed enjoyment of Luke Walton as their head coach, but performance during the season often brought up questions of accountability. So how can an NBA head coach find the right balance of connecting with or being liked by the players, but also being respectful or even, sorry, or also being respected or even a little feared by his or her players? So um, that accountability question maybe isn't, isn't as such an issue as it was last season. So how does Luke Walton balance that? Well, I, I think uh, that's a great question, by the way. And yes, I, I would agree that uh, players really, really generally like Luke. And I can see why he's a likable guy. If you, if you spend any time with him, he's very likable. Uh, 
you know, likable is a good quality to have in a head coach, but it's not the most important. <laughs> the most important yeah. is, is uh, respect and, and, uh, and, and how can Luke maybe uh, split the difference there a little bit? Well, I, I think you can still be likable if you're honest and uh, fair with guys, because I mean, you can bench guys and if they're being benched because of poor play or not doing what they're supposed to do, unless there's some, unless there's something wrong with them, they understand that. I've always said most players want to be coached and, and they want to, and if you can tell them, provide them with information that will help them. Uh, and if you can provide them with fair information about their, their plight, so to speak, uh, they, they'll generally appreciate that. I, I've always, you know, just, uh, just my own experience with, with really good players, a couple of them where I, I was very critical of over the years, but, but they knew I was right. And it, it and I think it helped it, you know, I always go back to the, you know, Eddie Johnson, a great shooter from years ago, and he was uh, struggling and, you know, I just took him in and said, say, man, we just had a chat. I just said, Eddie, the reason you're struggling, you're taking too many damn bad shots. Stop it. You know, be, be selective. You know, if you can't be selective, then you're going, I'm going to not play you as much. And, uh, you know, and later on, it's, it's like, yeah, he was too good to be shooting 40% because he's taking too many tough shots. And then, or uh, one of my favorite players of all time, Kenny Smith, you know, and I've told you this story. I always called my Kenny Smith rule, or, you know, pretty much through his rookie year, you know, you can see he's a really good player, you know, very good player, a lot like De'Aaron, uh, you know, not quite maybe that little caliber but close and uh but he was everybody's friend you know i said you don't piss anybody off i said when you play against john stockton uh how do you like that well I, he's a blankety blank blank you know i said that's right uh, that's exactly right uh but uh he likes playing against you <laughs> i said <laughs> you're you that i said you could be a sportsman and i'd want you to be uh, after the game and all that but during the game uh, you're a small guard you got to have a little shit bird in you you better get yeah, some sure. you know the type thing and i always remember you know and he never was the, ever going to be john stockton toughness wise or chris paul but but he but you know i mean kenny was smart and he figured out a way sure. you know to to do it and uh, have a career and, and I, so I don't know those examples, but, but I think that's what, that's what you're talking about is uh, you're talking about reasonable players, whether it's a, you know, uh, you know, Fox or Halliburton, these are high quality individuals, Harrison Barnes, criticism is needed. They're not, unless I miss something, I don't see Michael Jordan there anywhere. Uh, and even he needed criticized. Uh, so, uh, you know, I mean, the great ones over the years. And, and I, so I think if I'm Luke, I, I've got to put that, in, you know, at the top of my list. I've got to be more critical, uh, you know, fair criticism, you know, fair praise and uh, and basically accountability. If, if we expect you to, if our defense is going to improve and you consistently don't get over the screens when we say you have to in these situations, then we, you've got to be benched you know, you've got to be held accountable. That's all. I mean, it's, it's not nuclear science. It's really just that simple. Let's roll over now to uh, the Reynolds wrap up. Jerry, what do you have for us today? Well, you know, I just, uh, of course, big fan of the King's Herald. And of course you guys, all you guys that write, I mean, just do a marvelous job, but I, I am also a big fan of the, uh, 
the comments. I, I read all the comments. I get a kick out of it. I mean, some I just think are tremendously intelligent. Some are just ignorant. But <laughs> you have, you have, have. Oh, but I, I do wish that that uh, you know people could be a little more uh, agree to disagree. Uh, you know, the the last time I, I came across a basketball person that had all the answers really didn't even know the questions. And, uh, and I, I just think it would uh, e even be better because there's really some intelligent conversations going on, thoughts. Uh, and uh, yeah, you know, just, hey, you know, the old, yeah, I'd totally, I, 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 I totally disagree with you, but this is why I think this, uh, you know, and it doesn't have to be personal. Sure. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of like a mafia guy again, just business. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, you're not allowed to be wrong on the internet, though. You understand that, right? Well, I mean, you're never. I know it's like it's like with sports writers; they're never accountable. Right? I was. I'll, I'll never forget the time I was just criticized by a, a columnist from the Bay Area, who I'll remain nameless because I don't. But he was. He wrote a whole column about how we drafted Randy Brown in the second round. It was the worst draft in the history of the NBA. And I was thinking, really, the worst. <laughs> the worst in the history of the NBA and Randy of course had a 10-year career and was a damn good player by the way uh, you know <laughs> I think he's actually better than the first the, the the lottery pick that the Warriors had that year but that's just another <laughs> but you know but, but that's the way stuff goes it's like uh, you know on the internet I do think with a, a, a site like the, the Herald is that people are more accountable than they are you know, in the print media, so to speak, sure. because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and I think that's great. If you're going to put out stuff there, well, yeah, people do remember. And, uh, and I, I, I suspect that just about everybody has been wrong a few times. I, I mean, I, they always say, uh, you know, experience comes from, uh, you know, bad judgments for the most part. And, uh, you know, that's how you learn making, making mistakes and, and I've had 50 some years of that kind of experience. And I think in another 20 years, I'll actually kind of get it. Uh, 20, maybe. Yeah, I'm sure that writer called and apologized about the Randy Brown. Did, did not, lost. surprisingly, yeah. did not happen. Did not happen. <laughs> you know what? I wanted to, uh, I wanted to bring up one more thing um, only because I, I didn't want to let it pass for another two weeks. And I want to get your opinion on it, Jerry, but Doug Christie, uh, was recently hired as an assistant coach uh, for the Sacramento Kings. And I just wanted to quickly get your opinions on it and, uh, and, and see what you had to say about Doug moving from, from the booth to the bench. Yeah. I, it's something that, uh, of course, I've always thought Doug would be a good coach and I've talked to him about it. We've had come in-depth conversations and I've always felt that, you know, that was his, really his first love. He wanted to coach. I think he has a tremendous instincts for it, knowledge, uh, will work hard. Uh, I think he, I think he can be very good. And, and the reason, you know, I, I said too, it's like, well, he's young enough that he's got that itch and you better scratch it. Uh, you know, he can always go back to TV later. I, I made this same speech pretty much. And I told him to Carol Lawson years and years ago as well. I said, I, you, you're, you, you should be a coach. You're going to be a coach. Oh, no, no. I, I like TV. I said, I know you do and you're good at it. But you'll you'll be a coach because that's who you are, sure. and that TV stuff will will be there for you, if in fact the, the you know you get tired of coaching and things of that nature. So I'm I'm really happy for Doug. Uh, I think it's a good move. Uh, 
you know, time will tell just, just what direction his, you know, his uh, career goes, obviously in the league now with so many assistants, what uh, responsibilities he has, but I, I, I think given opportunity, I think Doug, Doug will be outstanding. I really do. Well, for all of us here at the Kings Herald, I just want to thank you guys for listening to another episode, uh, for uh, for sticking with us through uh, choking fits and everything else, uh, bad opinions included. And uh, we, we hope to see you back in two weeks. Uh, if you if you feel the need, uh, please go to wherever you find us and like, rate, and subscribe, just so that way we uh, we get that feedback that helps us out a lot. And uh, for everyone here, uh, thanks a lot. We'll see you in two weeks. 